This morning, the book of Jeremiah presents us with a question. It's a pretty significant question. How do you tell a true prophet from a false one? Another way to put that would be to say, how do you know when someone who claims to be God's messenger really is God's messenger? In chapter 19, the book of Jeremiah reached a turning point. Through Jeremiah, God announced that his patience with the people of Judah had finally run out. After years of pleading and warning, finally, a corner had been turned. They were going to be defeated by their enemies, the Babylonians, God said, and they were going to be exiled to Babylon. And after that turning point in the book, there's a little bit of a pause before we hear what's next. And in that pause, God speaks about two of the failures that have got Judah into this mess. The failure of Judah's kings and the failure of her prophets. Most of her prophets. Last week we heard about the kings. They had not fulfilled their purpose as kings. They were supposed to rule as God's representatives. But they hadn't done that. And this morning, we're going to hear about Judah's prophets. As we read the book up to this point, we may have got the impression Jeremiah is the only prophet in Judah at this time, the only one claiming to be God's messenger. But in fact, that is not the case. There are lots of prophets around in Judah. They're all claiming to speak God's word but they're not all saying the same thing. Or to be more precise, they're not all saying the same thing as Jeremiah. We'll see later in the book, Jeremiah didn't quite stand all by himself, but he just about stood all by himself. Jeremiah and just a couple of others are proclaiming one word from the Lord, and all the other prophets proclaim a very different word from the Lord. So who's right? It's a very important question. Because in Judah at this time, prophets were big time influencers. They were opinion formers. It was important to know then which prophets really were delivering God's message. Now there were a couple of tests that might have been useful in other situations, but that weren't very useful in this situation. One test was to see which God the prophet claimed to speak for. But in this case, that test wasn't much use because all the prophets in Judah are claiming to speak for the Lord, the one true God. Another test was to wait and see which prophet's word came true. Now that's a very good test. The trouble is it's only useful in the future. What about a test that's useful right away? What about a test that could help people sort truth from error before they wasted precious time following a false prophet? Was there a test like that? The answer is yes. The test is, does the prophet's message agree with what God has already said? At this point, God has been revealing himself to the Israelites for a long, long time. 
For generations, God has been showing his power. He's been explaining his will. And he has been doing what he promised. Ever since the days of Abraham. So the straightforward test is, which of these prophets in Judah agree with what God has already said? Which of them agree with what he has already revealed about himself? And then which of the prophets deny it or distort it or subtract from it? That's how the people of Judah can tell a true prophet from a false one. And hopefully we'll see that test is equally useful for you and me today. It's useful for you and me as we seek to decide between teachers who all claim to be speaking for God, but who are not all saying the same thing. So let's read, starting from Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 9, and we'll read through to the end of chapter 23. If you haven't found that yet, it's on page 783 in the church Bibles, or 1213 in the larger print Bibles. Concerning the prophets, my heart is broken within me. All my bones tremble. I'm like a drunken man, like a strong man overcome by wine because of the Lord and his holy words. The land is full of adulterers. Because of the curse, the land lies parched and the pastures in the wilderness are withered. The prophets follow an evil course and use their power unjustly. Both prophet and priest are godless. Even in my temple I find their wickedness, declares the Lord. Therefore their path will become slippery. They will be banished to darkness and there they will fall. I will bring disaster on them in the year they are punished, declares the Lord. Among the prophets of Samaria, I saw this repulsive thing. They prophesied by Baal and led my people Israel astray. And among the prophets of Jerusalem, I have seen something horrible. They commit adultery and live a lie. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that not one of them turns from their wickedness. They are all like Sodom to me. The people of Jerusalem are like Gomorrah. Therefore, this is what the Lord Almighty says concerning the prophets. I will make them eat bitter food and drink poisoned water because from the prophets of Jerusalem, ungodliness has spread throughout the land. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord says you will have peace. And to all who follow the stubbornness of their hearts, they say, no harm will come to you. But which of them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see or to hear his word? Who has listened and heard his word? See, the storm of the Lord will burst out in wrath, a whirlwind swirling down on the heads of the wicked. 
The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he fully accomplishes the purposes of his heart. In days to come, you will understand it clearly. I did not send these prophets, yet they have run with their message. I did not speak to them, yet they have prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, they would have proclaimed my words to my people and would have turned them from their evil ways and from their evil deeds. Am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? I've heard what the prophets say who prophesy lies in my name. They say, I had a dream, I had a dream. How long will this continue in the hearts of these lying prophets who prophesy the delusions of their own minds? They think the dreams they tell one another will make my people forget my name just as their ancestors forgot my name through Baal worship. Let the prophet who has a dream recount the dream. But let the one who has my word speak it faithfully. For what has straw to do with grain, declares the Lord. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces? Therefore, declares the Lord, I am against the prophets who steal from one another words supposedly from me. Yes, declares the Lord, I am against the prophets who wag their own tongues and yet declare, the Lord declares. Indeed, I am against those who prophesy false dreams, declares the Lord. They tell them and lead my people astray with their reckless lies. Yet I did not send or appoint them. They do not benefit these people in the least, declares the Lord. When these people or a prophet or a priest ask you, what is the message from the Lord? Say to them, what message? I will forsake you, declares the Lord. If a prophet or a priest or anyone else claims this is a message from the Lord, I will punish them and their household. This is what each of you keeps saying to your friends and other Israelites. What is the Lord's answer or what is the Lord spoken? But you must not mention a message from the Lord again because each one's word becomes their own message. So you distort the words of the living God, the Lord Almighty, our God. This is what you keep saying to a prophet. What is the Lord's answer to you or what has the Lord spoken? Although you claim this is a message from the Lord, this is what the Lord says. You used the words, this is a message from the Lord, even though I told you that you must not claim this is a message from the Lord. Therefore, I will surely forget you and cast you out of my presence along with the city I gave to you and your ancestors. I will bring on you everlasting disgrace, everlasting shame, that will not be forgotten. This is God's word. How do you tell a true prophet from a false one? You ask, do they agree with God's word about his holiness, his wrath, his power, 
and his goodness. First, if someone claims to speak for God, do they agree with God's word about his holiness? Do they agree that sin is serious? When God revealed himself to Moses and then to the Israelites at Mount Sinai, way back at the time of the Exodus, at that time God explained he is a holy God and he desires to have a holy people. A true messenger of God will not downplay God's holiness. And that messenger will also be serious himself about holiness. That's certainly true of Jeremiah. Look how this passage opens in verse 9. These are Jeremiah's own words concerning the prophets. In other words, as I see these prophets around me, my heart is broken within me. All my bones tremble. I am like a drunken man, like a strong man overcome by wine because of the Lord and his holy words. The land is full of adulterers. Because of the curse, the land lies parched, and the pastures in the wilderness are withered. The prophets follow an evil course and use their power unjustly. Jeremiah is in turmoil. He's agitated, he's distressed, because God is holy and the people of Judah are not. Jeremiah looks at his homeland of Judah and he sees a parched, withered place because of sin. He sees power being misused because of sin. And that distresses him. He cannot see his land in this kind of state and be unmoved by it. That is one mark of a true prophet of God. He shares God's view of the ugliness and the destructiveness of sin. And in verse 11, God confirms that is his own view. Both prophet and priest are godless. Even in my temple, I find their wickedness, declares the Lord. Therefore, their path will become slippery. They will be banished to darkness and there they will fall. I will bring disaster on them in the year they are punished, declares the Lord. Among the prophets of Samaria, I saw this repulsive thing. They prophesied by Baal and led my people Israel astray. Samaria was the northern kingdom. That was the kingdom that had already gone into exile years ago for their sin at this point. And God says, things were bad up in Samaria, but they're no better down here in Jerusalem. Verse 14, among the prophets of Jerusalem, I have seen something horrible. They commit adultery and live a lie. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that not one of them turns from their wickedness. They're all like Sodom to me. The people of Jerusalem are like Gomorrah. Notice that here God does not focus on what the prophets in Jerusalem are saying. He focuses on how they're living. That's the real giveaway when it comes to their view of sin. And what their lives show is that they are wicked, verse 11. They commit adultery, verse 14. These so-called prophets of the Lord do not share the Lord's view of sin. 
For a start, there's no indication that they're saying sin was a bad thing. But even if they did ever say that, their lives show what they really believe about sin. And what they believe is that it's fine. They're not distressed about sin in their own lives or in anyone else's. And because prophets are influencers and because they're opinion formers, their careless attitude to sin is reinforcing other people's sin. In verse 14, God says, they strengthen the hands of evildoers so that not one of them turns from their wickedness. And God says, do you know what Judah reminds me of? It's like Sodom and Gomorrah. Those two notoriously wicked cities way back in Abraham's time. And so in verse 15, I will make these prophets eat bitter food and drink poisoned water because from the prophets of Jerusalem, ungodliness has spread throughout the land. One mark of a false prophet is that they don't take sin seriously. And the true indication of how seriously they take it is not so much what they say about sin. The real question is, how does it impact them? Are they distressed by it when they find it in their own lives and when they see it all around them? That is how sin impacted Jeremiah. It made him tremble. It broke his heart. Because Jeremiah agreed with God about sin. Jeremiah understood God's holiness and that led him to take sin very seriously. So when you and I hear people today who claim to speak for God, let's pay attention to their attitude to sin. Do they ignore it? Do they explain it away? If they do, then they're disagreeing with God's word about his holiness. True messengers of God know God is holy. So they take sin seriously starting in their own lives. Second, if someone claims to speak for God, do they agree with God's word about his wrath? Do they agree that peace is not guaranteed? Verse 16, this is what the Lord Almighty says, do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord says you will have peace. And to all who follow the stubbornness of their hearts, they say, no harm will come to you. So not only are these false prophets careless about sin, they're actually promising the people sin will have no consequences. All will be well. God will give them peace. He will protect them, even though they're despising and rejecting him. Now, it is true God has made many promises in his word that he would protect his people and give them peace. So these prophets can quote 
plenty of scriptures to prove their point. The only problem is they're leaving out another truth which God has made equally clear. His peace and protection are for those who love him and seek to live for him. Those who defy him, those who act like their God, they can expect God's wrath and judgment, not his peace. But these false prophets simply left that part out of their preaching. They're leading people to believe God's promise of peace is for everyone without exception. And their message was doubly destructive and misleading because they could even find scriptures to back it up. And that's the worst kind of false teaching. Not the kind that blatantly defies and denies everything God has said. The worst kind of false teaching proclaims one part of what God has said and ignores the rest of what he said. That distorts God's word. And that is more dangerous than denying it completely. In contrast to that, Jeremiah has been preaching the whole word of God. For years, he's been faithfully holding out the promise of peace and protection for those who will forsake their sin and turn to God in repentance. Those who are committed to let God be God in their lives, those people have God's promise that all will be well for them. And alongside that, Jeremiah has preached the other side of that reality. The truth that those who insist on being God of their own lives, those people are already under God's wrath. And they will eventually face his judgment. Even as Jeremiah proclaimed God's offer of peace, he was faithful to point out that peace is not guaranteed. If there is to be peace, there must first be repentance. Look how God emphasizes that. In verse 18, speaking about the prophets who say peace is guaranteed, God says about them, which of them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see or to hear his word? Who has listened and heard his word? See, the storm of the Lord will burst out in wrath, a whirlwind swirling down on the heads of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he fully accomplishes the purposes of his heart. In days to come, you will understand it clearly. I did not send these prophets yet they have run with their message. I did not speak to them, yet they have prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, they would have proclaimed my words to my people and would have turned them from their evil ways and from their evil deeds. In other words, instead of being happy to strengthen the hands of evildoers by telling them all is well, if these prophets were truly from God, they would have worked as hard as they could to turn evildoers away from evil. All of us love the comfort 
that Scripture brings us. We love the great promises of God that calm us deep down and reassure us. And that is right. That's one of the main reasons we come together every week, to let God's Word give us rest for our souls, to renew our peace. If our times of worship consistently leave us feeling spiritually bruised and battered, then something is wrong. But if we come to church and all we ever get is a message of peace, then eventually we ought to begin to be suspicious. Why? Because this world is not as it should be. You and I are not as we should be. And in his love, God wants to show us that. He wants to show us so we will keep turning from sin in our lives. So we'll keep resisting the sin around us that wants to suck us in. So if God's word is being taught faithfully, then you and I will often be lifted up We'll often be soothed in our spirits. We'll often be comforted by the truth of God's mercy and love. And we will often be made uncomfortable. We will often squirm a little bit, or maybe a lot. We'll often feel cut to the heart. as we hear about God's wrath against all that is evil. If over time we find we're only having one of those experiences, we're only being comforted or we're only being discomforted, then we're either filtering out half of what God says or we're only being told half of what God says. The worst kind of false teacher is the kind that only tells you half the truth. Jeremiah was faithful to present the offer of hope and peace and the warning to flee from sin and unrighteousness. And God says, there's your proof that Jeremiah has stood in my counsel to see and to hear my word. Third, if someone claims to speak for God, do they agree with God's word about his power? That he is inescapable and his word is effective. Look at verse 23. Am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them, declares the Lord? Do I not fill Heaven and earth, declares the Lord. The background to this is the kind of teaching we've seen earlier in this book. A kind of teaching that says, we have the Lord's temple here. And the Lord is in his temple, so it's kind of like we have him in our own little box here in Judah. So he's our little God who will do what we want. That's the sense of a God nearby in verse 23. And God doesn't deny he's that kind of God. 
Not that he's at our beck and call, but that he's nearby. He doesn't deny that. Theologians speak about God's imminence, meaning he is present and he is closely involved in his creation. And scripture certainly teaches that. But here God asks, have you begun to think that's all I am? Only a God nearby? No, I'm also a God far away. Theologians use the word transcendent, meaning he is above and beyond his creation. His involvement in the little details does not limit his ability to rule every atom in the universe. He is far above all and certainly not able to be contained in a building or a box. But that transcendence doesn't limit his ability to see and know the little details of all of our lives. Verse 24 says, it doesn't restrict God's ability to know what goes on in secret places. They're not secret to him. He is inescapable. And his word is effective. He doesn't just know what's going on. Through his word, he impacts what's going on. The next verses are a contrast between the power of God's word and the ineffectiveness of other words. Look at verse 25. I've heard what the prophets say who prophesy lies in my name. They say, I had a dream. I had a dream. How long will this continue in the hearts of these lying prophets who prophesy the delusions of their own minds? They think the dreams they tell one another will make my people forget my name, just as their ancestors forgot my name through Baal worship. Let the prophet who has a dream recount the dream. But let the one who has my word speak it faithfully. For what has straw to do with grain, declares the Lord? Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces? There are places in the Bible where God communicates with people through dreams. The problem with these false prophets is not that they have dreams. It's that they seem to think any dream will do. They seem to think they can proclaim whatever comes into their minds as if it's from God. Now, maybe some of these guys were making stuff up, just pretending they'd had dreams. But as it's presented here, it seems more likely some of them really are having dreams. But God says at the end of verse 26, those dreams are not from me. They're the delusions of their own minds. And here's how you know that, God says. You know it because my word, when it comes, is powerful. Verse 29, it's powerful like fire. Powerful like a hammer that shatters a rock into pieces. So here's what you do, you guys, with the dreams. Go ahead and tell your dreams. But my faithful prophet, who really does have a word from me, let him speak it faithfully. And it will become evident which message is from me. Because the delusions of human minds will come to nothing. They will draw a crowd, perhaps, for a while, but they will produce no lasting effect. 
but my word will accomplish things. It will bring some people to repentance and it will bring others to judgment. In the middle of verse 28, God says, what has straw to do with grain? Meaning some of what's being said in Judah is just straw. It's weightless and worthless. But some of what's being said is like grain. It's substantive. It's life-giving. And that life-giving word from me will show its power. It will accomplish things. It will change things. Some people are very quick to say, God told me this or that. But in fact, over time, it becomes clear much of what they claimed was from God wasn't really from God at all. Why? Because their words proved to be as worthless as straw. But when we're truly dealing with God's word, it turns out to be like fire. It turns out to be like a hammer. Over time, it does work in people's lives. It reveals sin. It creates a love of holiness. It humbles. It lifts up. It teaches, rebukes, corrects, and trains in righteousness. And when people reject God's word, when it makes them angry, that is also God's word doing work. Revealing the rebellion of their hearts. Rebellion that might previously have been hidden behind a polite facade. But their reaction to God's word exposes the true thoughts and attitudes of their heart. If you doubt that, try reading the Bible carefully. It will either draw you in and attract you or it will infuriate you because the Bible calls you to bow and worship this God. The Bible insists, it demands that he deserves your heart and soul and nothing less than that. God's word is always doing work whether it's bringing salvation or building up God's people or exposing the rebellion of God's enemies. God's word is always working. Human words aren't like that. Philip Ryken says, what a vast difference there is between the burning, breaking word of God and the chatterings of mere mortals. False prophets end up denying God's power, and they do that by proclaiming the powerless chatterings of their own hearts as if they were God's word. True prophets might not have a spectacular message, but they do have a powerful one. And in Jeremiah's case, his message was entirely in line with what God had already said. Particularly in the book of Deuteronomy, where God set out the calamity of disobedience and the blessings of faithfulness. 
Unlike the message of the false prophets, Jeremiah's word did not conflict with what God had already said. Now today we're not in exactly the same position as Jeremiah. Whatever prophecy means today, it does not mean receiving direct word-for-word messages from God. Messages that are to be recorded in the Bible for future generations. Today, the only word that has life-changing power is the Bible itself. Not what the preacher dreamt last night. Not what thoughts the preacher had in his mind on the way back from Tesco's yesterday. When those are the kind of messages that are proclaimed in God's name, the result is a denial of God's power. Because merely human messages have no power to change lives. They might entertain for a while. They might make people feel good for a while. But in the end, they're just like straw blown away in the wind. They make no lasting impact on human hearts. So God says in verse 31, I'm against the prophets who wag their own tongues and yet declare, the Lord declares. Indeed, I'm against those who prophesy false dreams, declares the Lord. They tell them and lead my people astray with their reckless lies. Yet I did not send or appoint them. They do not benefit these people in the least, declares the Lord. True messengers of God don't sideline what God has said in his written word. They give it the central, prominent place because it's filled with the power of God and it does benefit those who hear. Finally, if someone claims to speak for God, do they agree with God's word about his goodness? Do they agree that the truth is not burdensome? Verses 33 to 40 are quite difficult to translate into English because they're built around a play on words. The word translated message in our Bibles, in the NIV anyway, that same word can also mean burden. So the difficulty for the translators is there's no English word that means both burden and message. At least I can't think of one. And so translators have to pick one word or the other. But the word that's used here is generally used to refer to a load that's carried by a human or an animal. It was used over and over back in chapter 17 of this book to speak about carrying a load on the Sabbath. So here in this passage, the play on words is, people are asking Jeremiah about his message. But the word they're using shows they think his message is an inconvenience. It's a nuisance, it's a pain in the neck, really. So the sense of verse 33 is, what gloomy word from the Lord do you have for us today, Jeremiah? You can picture them winking at each other as Jeremiah goes by. 
There's that old naysayer again. He's so negative all the time. And according to verse 33, the other prophets were among those who said that to Jeremiah. The point is, Jeremiah is truly proclaiming God's word. But instead of siding with God by siding with Jeremiah, these other prophets are siding with the people against God. They're joining the people in saying God's word is a drag. It's a downer. It's embarrassingly negative. But as this final section goes on, God says to those prophets in verse 39, I will surely forget you and cast you out of my presence. Beware of people who claim to teach God's word but seem to be embarrassed by God's word. Beware of preachers who want to make sure that you know they're not too impressed with the Bible and they'd change it if they could, but who wants to hear that kind of stuff, the negative stuff? They'd change it if they could, but, well, we're kind of stuck with it. Beware of supposed messenger of, messengers of God who act like God's word is burdensome. If only God had asked their opinion before he went and published it, they could have helped him make it a bit more, well, positive and palatable, a bit more acceptable to people who want to live their own way and feel comfortable about it. But in fact, those kind of teachers do their hearers a great disservice when they apologize for God's word and when they get embarrassed about it. It's because of God's great goodness that he sends a message with so many warnings in it. In the Christianity Explored course, Rico Tice talks about a visit to Australia, I think it was, where he wanted to go swimming in the sea only to be confronted on the beach with a big sign telling him there were sharks in the water. Now he had to decide at that point, was that sign there to be a burden to him? Was it there to spoil his fun? Or was it there to save his life? Were the people who put up that sign being unkind to him? Or was that sign a work of goodness and love? It's the same with the warnings of Scripture. They're a sign of God's goodness. How would it be good to let people go merrily to hell having been told nothing except that they're fine? We've seen in this book how Jeremiah finds his calling as a prophet to be so, so tough. In fact, he finds it to be so tough that sometimes he wants to die because of it. Being hated by everyone around him, even betrayed by his own family, 
Sometimes even thinking God has left him to sink all by himself in this job he has to do. Jeremiah found it tough, but he was a true prophet. Because as tough as it was, he didn't take the easy way out. He delivered the whole message, the warnings as well as the hope, the judgment as well as the salvation. Jeremiah didn't apologize for God. Jeremiah didn't declare his sympathy with those who thought God's message was a bit unpleasant or a bit unkind. No, Jeremiah did what God calls his true prophets to do. It's in verse 28. Let the one who has my word speak it faithfully. Sensitively, yes, of course. With love, yes, certainly. But never with apologies. God is good. God is kind. Those of us who teach God's word in any context, maybe in Sunday school, maybe at home, those of us who get into conversations about God with other people, let's never give the impression that we are kinder than God is. How might we end up doing that? We do it when we apologize for his word. Or when we take the side of sinful rebels in their distaste for God's word. Let's never speak about God's word as if it's a burden we'd rather be free of. If we love God, we will learn to love his word. All of it. Including the parts that challenge us so deeply and rebuke us so strongly. We'll learn to love those as signs of God's care and his love. And we will encourage others to love that word as well. The truth is not burdensome. It's a gift from the loving creator who cares for us. Now, this is certainly not all that could be said on the subject of true and false prophets. But there is one more thing that must be said. Because the New Testament tells us that God's Son, Jesus, is the ultimate prophet. The book of Hebrews begins with these words. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. God speaks definitively through his Son, Jesus. In Jesus' words and in his life, death, and resurrection, we see and we hear God's final words on his holiness, on his wrath, on his power, and on his goodness. As Jesus hung on the cross, God showed his holiness as Jesus took our sin on himself and received all of the wrath that our sin deserved. And at that very same event, God was showing his goodness 
as Jesus' death provided a way for you and me to be forgiven. And after three days, God showed his power over death as he raised Jesus. Jesus makes God known in all his glory and his greatness. So every true messenger of God will focus their message on Jesus. Before we gather around this table and share the Lord's Supper together, we're going to join in a song that reminds us Jesus is the living Word of God. Through him, God brings cleansing and salvation and hope for the future. Let's sing, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. <laughs>